describing just one aspect of the unique Jesus. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. He upholds all things by the word of his power. This is an important truth because no man, no government, no scientist, no theory, no philosophy holds the universe together. Only Jesus does. God is in control and through his son is controlling the world and moving it forward to a climactic moment of revival and renewal. This is amazing grace. It's been well said that great names come and go, but the name of Jesus remains. The devil still hates it. The world still opposes it, but God still blesses it. It's the key that unlocks the treasury of God's grace. And there's no one like him, as we'll learn today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've just begun a study in the book of Hebrews that presents the incomparable Jesus. Today and tomorrow, we'll hear the many reasons why he is unique and superior. Here now is Pastor Ed. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews? We're in chapter one. We're only a few weeks into this study, and God is using it in incredible ways. I believe he's going to use it in even more incredible ways as we continue on. Remember, Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians. They have experienced the joy of receiving and accepting their Messiah. They've dedicated their life to living for Jesus Christ. And for many of them, they have lost everything and now are under deep persecution for their decision to embrace the very fulfillment of all the promises they were looking for. And they're faced with a temptation. They're faced with a temptation to leave the simplicity of the gospel and go back to Judaism. They're at a crossroads. So it would help you as you open up the book of Hebrews to put yourself in their sandals for a moment and think of the crossroads that they're at. Do they continue on in this difficult life of faith in Jesus simply obeying him and enjoying him? Or do they go back? Do they continue in the substance of all that they hoped for? Or do they exchange the substance for the shadows and go back to their religious experience? And Paul, he takes pen in hand and writes to them, I believe, a letter declaring that Jesus is superior in so many ways. You could say in every way to religion, rituals, and the thousands of years of tradition that they have faced. And you know, all of us face these similar temptations. Now, I don't know that anyone listening to me, if there are, it's very few that are tempted to go to Judaism Although that temptation's out there today is some would teach a, uh, a false gospel of keeping the law in order to be right with God. 
The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and so by faith in Jesus Christ, you are able to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So because the temptation of Judaism isn't before us, we might just dismiss the book of Hebrews as something irrelevant to our century, but not so. Because the temptation to leave the simplicity of the gospel comes to us in many different ways. Where the fact that by faith in Jesus Christ and because of his grace, you can have your sins forgiven, there'll be those that say, no, it's too easy. That's too simple. You have to do something to add. You've got to work harder. You've got to do something in order to add to what God has done. But it's not true. And what once was simple, intimate, life-transforming relationship can so quickly revert back to rigid, ritualistic, empty routine that has all the outward trappings of spirituality, but there's emptiness inside. If you think it wouldn't happen to you, the church, well, just think back to the book of Revelation when Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus. He talked to them about what they had left. And he didn't say they left the complicated theology. He didn't say they left all the rituals and, and, and all of the, the crazy trappings of religion. What did he say? He said, you had left. I have this against you. This is Revelation chapter 2. I have this against you. You have left your first love. And that's really what leaving the simplicity of the gospel is. Leaving a relationship of love. And exchanging it for who knows what. And so our time in Hebrews, I believe, will build our faith and grow us into greater simplicity as we break down the insights that Paul shares with the Hebrews. So pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 1. God, who at various times and different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." Now, the last time we were together, we learned how God spoke in times past through the prophets, where he spoke and revealed himself to those that had ears to hear. Now, why would God speak? Why is it that God would choose to speak through the prophets? Well, understand, God loves us. He loves his creation. And he knows that we're unable to know God unless he reveals himself to us. That's the only way to know God. You, you don't learn about God by gaining more information. The only way to learn about God is by having revelation as he reveals himself. And all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis, the beginning, all the way to the end of Revelation, is one great unfolding of the revelation of who God is, what his character is, his nature, and his desire to have relationship with his creation. Why does God speak? Because he loves us. There is that inner desire in every man, every woman, every child to know what their true identity is. A lot of people spin their wheels 
throughout their life trying to find out who they are, trying to determine what's their purpose. Questions like, who am I? How did I get here? What's my purpose in life? Or even more practical, why do I work here? Why am I living here? What is my purpose? The problem with that question, the question itself is not a bad one to ask. It's how you choose to answer it that can cause trouble. And the problem with that particular question is that so many grasp and grope for an answer and they want to know God, but they think they live in a dark world like without any revelation, without, without any evidence for who God is. That's the very root of every false religion, every fanciful philosophy, and all the bankrupt theories. You know, like theories of where you came from. And the, the most popular theory, humanistic evolution, you know, in all its various forms is basically you kind of started out as mud and then the mud kind of grew some eyes. You kind of come through and you become a monkey somewhere in there and then you become a human. What kind of hope is that? What kind of hope is it? Well, what am I? Well, I don't know. Am I mud? Am I a monkey? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And Paul would put it this way. And all of these bankrupt theories all fit in the same category. Paul would put it this way. He would speak of having a knowledge of God and knowing that you are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. In order to suppress the truth, you have to have a knowledge of the truth. And through a life lived in rebellion against God, people are separated from the truth. And they still don't know who they are and haven't come to that place of understanding. So what does God do? He reveals himself very graciously. He reveals himself in a variety of ways. He's revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through man's conscience. He's revealed himself through the system of law and justice, which is basically right and wrong. He has revealed himself through angels, through teachers, through prophets, through messengers. In Genesis alone, if you just open up the book of Genesis, you will find a God who loves to communicate with his people. You will be introduced to, right in the very beginning, in the beginning, God, and then, then there unfolds this revelation of God to man. For example, we see God speaking to Adam. We see God speaking to Adam and Eve. God speaks to Cain. God speaks to Noah. God speaks to Noah and his sons. He speaks to Abraham, Rebekah, Jacob, Laban, Joseph, even Abimelech, the unsaved, unbelieving king, he speaks to. Why? Because he loves us. But more specific to the coming of Messiah, which is the hope of all mankind, Jesus Christ, consider God speaking to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God told David that the Savior would be born of his own house, his own lineage. Or how about in Micah chapter 5, verse 2? God spoke to Micah and told him that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. How, how about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 7, God spoke to Isaiah and told him that the Savior would be born of a virgin. And yet none of these were the complete message because the complete message came in Jesus Christ. He is the final word and is far superior than any other word that has come before him or will come after him. In Jesus Christ, there is nothing left unsaid. So that the Bible says that we have received the faith 
once and for all delivered to the saints. So today I want to show you in the first few verses eight reasons. It would be a great day to take notes. Eight reasons why Jesus is superior. And keep in your mind that the letter is written to people that are beginning to doubt that Jesus is superior. They're beginning to doubt that it's even worth it to follow him. They're beginning to doubt that leaving the the ritualistic form of Judaism, you know, God never intended Judaism to become so ritualistic. God gave his word to mankind and gave the direction throughout Leviticus and Genesis, throughout the first books, five books of the Bible. He gave his word in order to create the boundaries and parameters for relationship. And man, like we often do, can take something so good and and make it something that God never intended. And here they are wrestling, where do I go? What do I do? Is it even worth it to follow Jesus? And as the book opens up, there are eight things at least. There is a ninth in verse four in terms of his relationship to angels, but we'll save that for our study next time because we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at angels and a theology of angels, which there's a word for that. It's called angelology. And I want to introduce you to the Bible's teachings on what the Bible has to say about angels. Very powerful creations and creatures of God. But we'll get to that in another study. For now, number one, eight things that make Jesus far more superior than any messenger that ever came before him. Number one, Jesus is the supreme spokesman. That's what it says in verse two. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son. You see, God is so concerned with our lives. He's so concerned with you and me understanding him and understanding his plan of salvation that he chose to enter into our world, condescending from that place of glory and the Son, Jesus Christ, coming into this world and taking on a human body, both 100% man and 100% God. God proved his love to us by sending his Son to meet us right where we're at, to give us the greatest revelation to ever be seen or heard, the life of Jesus Christ. And through him, we have some of the greatest words of life and deliverance. Jesus has taught us exactly how to conquer trials and temptations and corruption and how to conquer death through his resurrection, how to overcome the condemnation that we bring upon ourselves. I mean, in every area of life, Jesus is the final answer. He he gives with finality the types of truths that we need to live a life that pleases him. Before Jesus Christ, no one could fully proclaim the totality of the word of God. And so what does God do? He brings everything to a climax and he sends us the word. Remember in John chapter one, verse one? In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he's the supreme spokesman. Number two, Jesus is the appointed heir of all things. That's what it says. Whom he is appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the lawful owner of everything. He alone inherited all that God is and has. And the Father has willed everything to the Son. And so by faith, we now have everything that Jesus has, which is mind-blowing to me. Jot it down in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. 
the Bible declares, in him, speaking of Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Well, the author to the Hebrews is saying the same thing. Those of us that have trusted in Christ can trust that all that is his is ours by faith. That when we look to him, when we follow him, all that is his is ours. Why is he superior? Because he's the appointed heir. No one else is the appointed heir. We only share in that inheritance by relationship and by faith. It's almost like Paul saying, do you really want to leave this relationship? Are you going to turn your back on Jesus Christ? In him you have everything. Number three, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Why is he superior? Because he's the creator. Notice at the end of verse two, through whom he also made the worlds. Jesus is the creator of the universe. And this is so different, isn't it, from the false teaching and teachers that come to your door on Saturday morning and want to introduce you to a Jesus that's created. And they'll say that in both of the popular cults that come to your door, they will both say in a different way that Jesus is created, just like you and me. Bringing Jesus down to the place of not creator, as the Bible declares, but just as another created, exalted being. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches unequivocally that Jesus is the creator. In John chapter 1, once again, verse 3, the Bible declares, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Doesn't that bear repeating? What was made that wasn't made by Jesus? What's the answer to that? Nothing. It says here that without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creator. The Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation, which makes sense because the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Creation occurred from the Father, by the Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is superior to the prophets. Why? Because he created them. And the creator is always greater than the creation. There's that joke that's been around with parents when your kids get in trouble. And there's that joke, I forget who said it, but they said something like, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. So be careful because you can't take them out. Only God can. Life is in the Father. Life is in the Father. Now, number four. Number four, Jesus is the very glory of God. Jesus is the very glory of God. Notice what he says in verse three, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness, Jesus is the very glory of God. If you're taking notes, circle the word being right there in verse three and right next to it, absolute timeless existence. That's what that word means in the Greek. The absolute timeless existence. He has always possessed the glory of God. We only get to experience now in him, he's always existed. The brightness, the splendor, the brilliance, everything that is worth seeing and experiencing is found in him. He's the creator. That means nothing 
There's nothing that exists that wasn't created. I was thinking, not, no planet, no star, no creature, no dimension, no vegetation, no mineral, no element. Nothing exists that wasn't created by Jesus. And he's the very brightness and splendor and glory. He is able to lighten the darkest of days if you'll simply look to him. He's the very glory of God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 the Bible declares, for in him, speaking of Jesus, dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So by way of review, number one, Jesus is the supreme spokesman. Number two, he's the appointed heir of all things. Number three, he's the creator of the universe. Number four, he's the very glory of God. Number five, Jesus is the exact representation of God. Once again, you're opening up a letter that was written to people that are ready to walk away from the Lord. Maybe that's you today. Because we're not, we're not really tempted by Judaism today, although some might be. But there's always something or someone looking to prey on the weakness of your flesh when you're going through a trial or a difficulty, you're going through life, and you're tempted to walk away from the simplicity of the gospel. And the author says, no, 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 no. If you can fix your eyes on Jesus, you will see the great value of his superiority in every realm. And he chooses just eight of them for us to say, no, 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 get your eyes back. He is the exact representation of God. The express image, it says in the New King James, of his person. The idea of that word express image is given to us from the ancient times of, of stamping a coin. And the idea behind that word is to stamp an exact replica multiple times. And far being Jesus being a replica, he is the exact representation of God the Greek word hypostasis, which is a large theological term that's used about the hypostatic union between God being 100% man and 100% God. But for the sake of our study today, the reality of what the author is telling us is that, hey, when you look at Jesus, you see God. Isn't that what he told Philip? Remember as he was walking and teaching the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus looks at Philip and he says this, Have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? Have we been together so long and you don't know me yet? And then Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Number six, Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. The sustainer of the universe, notice in verse 3 again, he upholds all things by the word of his power. This is a, an important truth. Because no man, no government, no scientist, no theory, no philosophy holds the universe together. Only Jesus does. God is in control. And through his son is controlling the world and moving it forward to a climactic moment of revival and renewal. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Again, in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, 
For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Jesus is superior because he's the only one that keeps things together. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to hold things together when your life's falling apart? Jesus alone can be relied upon. Never forget that. Well, thanks for hanging out with us here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Wouldn't you like to experience revival and power in your life? Well, we picked out an excellent book this month that can help you get on that road. It's The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This classic book has helped millions experience personal revival with Jesus Christ. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Calvary Road. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor all week long as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 